encourage you to keep your Bibles open. Um, we're going to be looking at a number of verses together now as we turn together to think about God's Word, and it would be so useful if you could follow along at least some of those verses as we think about them together. So, my iPad just switched off right at the wrong moment there, but there it's back on. Now, let's think about growth for a few moments tonight, because we talk a lot about, and indeed we marvel at the miracle of growth. So, I think about some of the things that we, we marvel at. It seems in this part of the world, people are very preoccupied by the growth of grass. You know, when I'm out and about, when I meet people and they say to me, oh, there, ha there hasn't been much growth this year so far. It's been very cold. There hasn't been much growth. And then all of a sudden, oh, the grass, it's, it's growing so quick. You can hardly keep, and how are you getting on at the manse, which is a kind of hint, get out and cut the grass. <laughs> so, people are really, really preoccupied and at times almost obsessed with the, the growth of grass. I think we've got to get those robots going to get the grass sorted out. But grass, people kind of watch out and see how it grows. Or we talk about the growth of our pets. So, we have had Toby with us over the past year since last October, and he's gone from being that wee kind of cute and tiny and, and fluffy puppy to more recent pictures of him being this big dog who kind of takes me for a walk and is almost impossible to control. Or we talk about the growth of our kids, and sorry, Sarah and Thomas, you know what's coming up here, but you know, the school photographs that we do every year, and you kind of trace the way in which your children are growing. In fact, I saw a thing online last week, and it was a guy who had taken a photograph of his daughter every single week from the age of two through to the age of 17, and then it was put into this, stitched into this kind of three-minute clip, standing at the same doorway, and it was incredible just to watch this little girl, this little toddler, grow up into a young woman. So, we, we are both amazed by growth. We do see it as being a miracle, and yet we fully expect it to happen. We anticipate that things, whether it's grass or pets or children, that they will grow and that that will be an ongoing process. But what about when it comes to the Christian life? When God calls us to Himself by His grace, when He saves us through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the ways in which the Bible describes that new life, that change of life, is as new birth. But the Scriptures also talk about the growth that must and will occur in the lives of those who trust in Christ. So, the question for us right at the outset tonight is, do we anticipate growth in our life spiritually? Do we expect to grow as followers of Jesus? Over the years that I've been here with you and Connor, we have thought at times about that process of becoming more like Jesus. We have talked about it in terms of our spiritual health. When we had that spiritual health check back, and I think it was 2018, and then again, the kind of uh, check up 
during the, the COVID times. And now we want to take that biblical picture of growth to understand God's will for our lives and to determine if indeed we are living as He calls and intends us to. And we're going to base this on this book that hopefully you have received from your district elder. This book, Grow in Grace. If you haven't picked up a copy of this book, and there is to be one of these books for each family in our congregation, there are books that are available out in the vestibule, and you could pick up one of those and take it. We would love and we would want to make sure that every home in our congregation receives one of these books. It's by Sinclair Ferguson, originally from Scotland, um, has been based in North America quite a bit in recent years, a great Bible teacher, a, a deep, deep thinker about theology, about all of the truths that the Bible contains. And we trust and we pray that you can make use of this and you will find this useful as you grow in grace, as you grow as a Christian. And in these few nights over the autumn time, I'm not going to try and summarize every part of that book because you can read that book for yourself. But rather, I'm going to take out some of the, the key points that Sinclair Ferguson is making in the book. And I suppose that the big, big message of this book, the overall message of the book is that becoming a Christian, becoming a follower of Jesus by grace is only the start. It is only the start of a process of spiritual growth. And God helps us in this growth. That's the key part. It is God by His grace who helps us to grow and become the people that He has called us to be. Now, as we think about all of this, we know that in this church, and hopefully this is not just a, a phrase or a cliche, but in this church, we seek to make it all about Jesus. We want to keep Jesus at the very center of the life of this church and our individual lives as well. And so if we're going to think about how we can grow spiritually, well, surely we need to start by looking at Jesus as a model for our growth. And that might seem obvious for believers of the Lord Jesus to start with Him when seeking to understand spiritual growth, but the, the truth is we can actually be tempted to look elsewhere. In an age of self-help guides, in an age where many books have a, a Christian veneer and even are sold in Christian spaces, but actually have maybe very little to do with the gospel and with its message of dependence on God. We need to begin with Jesus. So in his book, and let's take a big quote from Sinclair Ferguson's book. In his book, Sinclair Ferguson says, the whole of the Christian life is centered on Jesus Christ. But often in Christian experience, we are tempted to look elsewhere for direction, example, counsel, and guidance. We lose sight of the fact 
that everything we need to live the Christian life is to be found exclusively in Christ. Let me repeat that last bit. Everything we need to live the Christian life is to be found exclusively in Christ. He is our help, and He is our guide, and He is our role model. And so, for this reason, when we think, and this is continuing this, this quote here, for this reason, when we begin thinking about spiritual growth, we must think, first of all, about Christ. So, let's do that tonight. Let's unpack what we have been reading here. And remember what is true of us who have been saved, that the transformation that takes place in our life is in the Bible by Jesus Himself described as new birth. Remember that Jesus in John chapter 3 said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now, let's think for a moment about our natural growth, our, our physical growth. And isn't there a couple of things that tend to happen when we start to grow up? The first thing is that we, we become more like our parents, so that people comment on that, don't they? Oh, you know, he's the image of his dad. She's just like her mom. She, she's so, so like her. And the Scriptures say that the same idea applies to our spiritual life, that as children of the living God, we should begin to become more like our heavenly Father in character and actions, what the Bible describes as godliness. But then there's another thing that happens for us in our physical or our natural growth, and that is that as we start to grow, we tend to become more like our siblings, our brothers and sisters, so that the younger is said to resemble the older. Oh, that fellow there, he, he's just like his brother, or that girl, you, you can easily tell that that's her older sister. And Scripture describes Jesus as being our elder brother, as people in the faith, so that He's the firstborn among many brothers, as Paul says in Romans 8, verse 29, or consider Hebrews 2, verse 11. I think it's one of the most remarkable, grace-filled verses in the Scriptures. Listen to what the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews 2, 11, that he points out that both the one who makes people holy, that is Jesus, and those who are made holy, that's believers in Jesus, are of the same family. So, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. That is amazing. And honestly, that should be transformative for those of us who are believers in Christ to understand that this is the way in which the Lord Jesus regards you. That's incredible. And so, God's work in the life of His people is to make them more and more like His Son, Jesus. And I can't emphasize that enough. That was the very central point of our spiritual health check, and indeed it will be the central point 
of growing grace because it is the central point of scriptures, of the scriptures. So we can say, therefore, that growing in grace means becoming like Jesus. If you want to understand or get a definition of what this growing in grace is all about, it is becoming like Jesus. And it is a process that the Lord has started in your life as a believer in Christ, and it is one that He promises to complete in your life until the day that you are with Jesus Himself. But here's the thing. If Jesus is to be our example of how we grow spiritually, that's presuming something. That's presuming that Jesus Himself grew spiritually. And that might surprise some people here tonight to hear us talk of Jesus growing spiritually, because after all, He is God incarnate. We'll explore that more in a moment. But He is God stepping into this world. In what sense did He actually need to grow? Well, let's think for a moment about the miracle of the incarnation. We touched on it at the beginning tonight when we considered that sequence of questions in the Heidelberg Catechism. And what is it that we we learn about the Lord Jesus? Well, we learn this, that Jesus is fully human and fully God. Now, it's so important that we, we, we at least try in our our limited minds to grasp that. It is certainly not a case that He is some kind of hybrid person, okay? It's not that He is half a man and half God, but miraculously, supernaturally, amazingly, Jesus is both at the same time fully God, fully divine, and fully human, a person just like you and me. And that means that he grew as a man. We've been reading a bit about that. He grew physically, but he also grew spiritually. So, come back to that Luke 2 passage with me and a couple of those verses. Luke 2 verse 40, it tells us that Jesus grew and became strong. So, there was physical growth But then it continues, he was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. And then it continues in verse 52, right at the end of Luke chapter 2, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And there's a bit of a summary of it all there from Sinclair Ferguson on the screen, but Why am I emphasizing that so much? Because it's important that we understand this and we see this. That actually Jesus is a realistic model for us to follow. Because if the life that Jesus lived in fellowship with His Father, and we'll think about how that looked more precisely towards the end, But if that was something that was unattainable to us, there would be no encouragement in looking to Him. But we can look to His example 
and say of him that Jesus is a realistic model to follow. That Jesus, and if you look at the screen here, who grew in grace himself is the source of spiritual growth. We are so dependent on God's grace in order to grow. But Jesus, who grew in grace himself, is the example of spiritual growth. And finally, Jesus was a man himself. That is why he too needed to grow spiritually. So, in what ways did Jesus grow spiritually during his life here in this world? Well, let's consider a few of the ways in which he grew. First of all, he grew in the fruit of the Spirit. Look at Galatians chapter 5 and verses 22 to 23. I've got those verses on the screen as well. And these will be familiar words to you. The fruit of the Spirit is listed. And remember, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And when you think about it, this is a picture of the Lord Jesus. So, we can think of many, many examples in the Gospels. We can think of His love, His compassion for others. We can think of His patience with His disciples who were always getting it wrong, who were always putting themselves forward, who were always doing exactly the opposite of what Jesus had just taught them to do and to think and say. We can think of His faithfulness in following His Father's will. And we can think of His self-control in how He responded to His enemies during His trial and His crucifixion. Now, when we look at the fruit of the Spirit, the Apostle Paul says that these are the, the qualities that will be evident in our lives as spiritful believers of Jesus. This is the fruit that will be produced when we live by the Spirit, as he puts it back in verse 16. And the Lord Jesus shows us what it is like to live by the Spirit. For as John the Baptist testified of Jesus in John's gospel, in John chapter 3, verse 34, Jesus experienced the Spirit without limits. And so tonight, look at your own life, and are these qualities, is this fruit present? Is it present in your public life, your life around other people, and your life here in church? Is it present in your private life and in your home life amongst your, your family and amongst your loved ones? Is it present in your, your thought life, in your personal life? Because when you think about it, that's where the final fruit needs to be so much in evidence, self-control, because it's in those moments when we're with no one else that self-control needs to be especially exercised. Because these are a measure of how you're growing in grace. But then the Lord Jesus grew through the trials that He faced. And it's remarkable the way in which the Scriptures work, but back 
in the Old Testament, we have Isaiah looking ahead to the coming of Christ, the coming of the Messiah. And he says of that one who God would send that he was despised and rejected by men, that he was a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. That's in Isaiah 53. And of course, we see this very clearly in the Gospels. We see the trials that Jesus went through. First of all, we see that Jesus was tempted. We know that He went through that particular period of testing and temptation in Matthew chapter 4 as the evil one tried to persuade Him away from the mission that God had sent Him on. We know that He underwent an intense time of temptation and spiritual opposition leading up to the cross, the, the agony that he was feeling in Gethsemane. And so, the writer to the Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 4 verse 15 that Jesus was tempted in every way just as we are. And don't imagine that that temptation was somehow different. He was tempted in every way, and that's the phrase, just as we are. And I don't know about you, but tonight, what an encouragement to know that Jesus can sympathize, that Jesus understands as we endure temptation and struggle. He, of course, being the one without sin, the one who never gave in to temptation, but that temptation was real nonetheless. And so, for him, his resistance to temptation led to spiritual growth. And then we think about how Jesus was misunderstood, and not least by his own family. In fact, there's, there's a remarkable verse early on in Mark's gospel. If you turn with me to Mark chapter 3, verse 21, and there you discover that because of the things that Jesus was saying about himself at the beginning of his public ministry, we're told that his family, and this is a very polite way of putting it, his family came to take charge of him, or I think maybe one of the versions puts it, they came to take custody of him. It sounds like an intervention. That would be the, the terminology today. It was a, they were staging an intervention. And maybe you've had to do that in all seriousness with one of your children or a family member. You've had to go and get them out of a situation or, or, you know, just get them out of something that's really destructive in their life. And that's how Jesus' family regarded where he was at. For them, Jesus, in terms of what he was saying about himself, had lost the plot. He was making a fool of himself by saying these things, and they were basically going to go and get either side of him and carry him out and take him back home. And I just want to note tonight, what an encouragement. Seriously, what an encouragement. What a comfort to Christians from homes where you're misunderstood. And that might be the experience of some of you here tonight. What an encouragement that if you are misunderstood as a believer in Christ in your home or in your family, that is exactly what the Lord Jesus experienced Himself. And we know that Jesus was opposed. Many examples of it. 
It runs all the way through the, the narrative of the Gospels, and of course, it ultimately leads to his death on the cross. And the thing is that Jesus tells his followers that they will share in this opposition. He never shies away from that. He repeats that on a number of occasions. For example, and I've put this example reference on the screen, John 15, verse 18, he puts it starkly, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. That's the reason. This is what you're sharing in. Now, remember that Jesus is the perfect model that we follow in order to grow spiritually and to become more like Him. And perhaps, therefore, that could change the way. And here's a thought tonight, that could change the way that we regard suffering and difficulties in our life. Not making them any easier to bear, but helping us to see the place of suffering, the, the purpose of suffering even if I can describe it sensitively like this, the usefulness of suffering in helping us to grow in grace, to become more and more like our Savior Jesus. So, Jesus grew through the trials that He faced, but then He also grew in obedience. And His obedience to His Father is, of course, so important to us who are saved because it was His obedience that led Jesus to becoming our sacrifice. As Paul puts it to the Philippians in Philippians 2, that Jesus became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He followed His Father's will for His life. But the thing is that during the life of the Lord Jesus, that obedience was also seen in his obedience to God's commandments and laws. For example, and think about this because this is one that, that really kind of stretches our minds. Jesus' earthly parents were sinful people. He came to save his parents in the same way that he came to save you. And yet, what does Luke tell us in chapter 2, verse 51, in that reading that we had earlier on. He tells us that then Jesus went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. These sinful parents who He came to save, because of His Father's commandments, He was obedient to them. And I would say that obedience is a devalued currency in modern Christianity. And yet, it was absolutely central to the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, it should be absolutely central in the life of His followers. So, we're able to see the model that the Lord Jesus provides for us, that He grew in grace as he went through the experiences of life here in this world, in order to grow in grace, you and I need the Lord Jesus' help. And so, it's such good news for us. It is such gospel for us tonight to understand 
or to know that he understands the struggles that we go through. For the writer to the Hebrews describes the kind of high priest that Jesus is to his followers. Again, back in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 18, and the writer says, because he, that is Jesus, himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus, our model and our help. But let's finish off very quickly with what it was that helped Jesus to grow spiritually. And once again, here's the good news for us. The good news is that Jesus did not possess any special means of spiritual growth that are not available to you and I. The Gospels show us that He grew by using three means of grace that God gives to all people. The first is the Scriptures. And the extent to which the Lord Jesus quoted from and referred to the Scriptures shows the amount of knowledge that He had of them. Just read through the Gospels. And in any modern version of the Bible, if you read through the Gospels and you read through, and sometimes it can be useful to look at a, a version of the Bible or an edition, a print of the Bible that has the teachings of Jesus in red. And when you look there, look at all of the cross-references to the Old Testament Scriptures that you see that so much of what the Lord Jesus said was either direct quotation from the Scriptures or making reference to the Scriptures. And there are far too many examples to mention tonight. But Jesus was especially aware of all that the Scriptures said and pointing to Him. And when you think about it, if Jesus, given His identity, recognized and submitted Himself to the authority of Scripture, and if He recognized its importance in His life, then so should we. We see that this is the food that helps us to grow. So, Jesus made use of the Scriptures. Then prayer. Jesus prioritized prayer. We have a beautiful example of that right at the beginning of Mark's gospel in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. And you know that Mark, in his style of gospel writing, he just jumps straight into the action and everything is bang, bang, bang. With Mark, there's no kind of like big, detailed background information. It's just, then this happened. Then Jesus went there. Then this happened to him. Then he did this. It's just relentless, the pace at which Mark moves. And yet here in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, Mark highlights, inspired by the Holy Spirit, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And the Middle East, where, where Jesus spent his earthly ministry, to the very best of my understanding, it's pretty much a six to six division of, of, of daylight and darkness. And, and he was up while it was still dark. He was up, you could say, in the middle of the night, very, very early in the morning. 
And very soon afterwards, the disciples come to him. Everybody's looking for you. Maybe that's a great template for you tonight in ministry or in life and family life and all of the things that you're called to do. It feels like that every day. Everybody's looking for you. Everybody wants to know where you are and what you're doing and why you're not giving yourself to them. And Jesus faced that more than anybody else. And yet he was found in the solitary place in fellowship with his Father in prayer. And then we think of the example of Jesus praying constantly in the hours before his arrest. That night before his arrest, that night of his arrest was spent in Gethsemane in prayer. Now again, if we think about this, Jesus we know was in and is in a unique relationship with his Father, yet he still saw the need to pray. Remember, he's fully God and fully man. And he saw the essential nature of prayer during his earthly life and ministry. And that perhaps is the ultimate proof of what we often say here, that prayer is much more about relationship than request. That spending time, for, for us, spending time in the Lord's presence will enable us to grow in grace. It will increasingly align our will to His. If you get serious about prayer, if you begin to pray in the way that Jesus prayed, in the way that the Scriptures talk about, you begin to see that, that your will is increasingly aligned to God's will. So, Jesus availed of the Scriptures. He prayed. And one final thing, and and this might be a surprising one, He sought fellowship with others. And maybe that is not immediately obvious, but in actual fact, you see that all the way through the life and the ministry of Jesus, that He not only sought fellowship with His Father through prayer, but he, He sought fellowship with his brothers and sisters? Where was he in this passage that we read earlier on at the age of 12? He went to the temple to talk about God's Word with the the teachers of the law, to, to question them and debate with them and discuss with them all of the things that excited him that he was discovering in Scripture. And in Gethsemane, despite the the, the, the sinful messes and failures they were, in Gethsemane, he asked his disciples to stay with him as he prayed. He sought their company and their presence. Tonight, as we begin to think about growing in grace, we have an incredible example of this kind of growth in the Lord Jesus Himself. And is this something that is important to you? Is there a desire to grow? Is there evidence of growth? These are the means by which Jesus grew in grace. So, what about you? We're going to begin to make our response to God now.